Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. John Papadak is one of my favorite people to have on the show. This is a guy who played football at USC, ran restaurants, became a father who had watched his son Petros go on to become a terrific person and broadcaster. I saw some news, like John Papadakis got in the L.A. Sports Walk of Fame. He is a big deal. The former USC linebacker and the guy known as the singing linebacker now has a new album out. I saw this and I thought, I got to get him on the show. The name of the album is When. So when you go to YouTube, look for John Papadakis. Or when you go online on Spotify, look for John Papadakis. Check out his work. This is a guy who, in 1969 and 1970, played in what we all know as the Pac-12. Joining us now, John Papadakis. The singing linebacker. How are you, my friend? Hey, good. Thank you very much. And thank you for mentioning the Pac-12 because, you know, it's gone now. And and I dearly loved, you know, going to those places. They were, every year it was an emotional uh, approach to every game simply because of the time and place. You were uh, a defensive standout at USC. You were in that Sam Bam Cunningham era that that uh, terrific story of you know playing the game at Alabama, but what in general, what was it like to play at USC in that era? It was very competitive. Uh, we scrimmaged every day. We had thirty days of spring practice. Every day was a scrimmage. There was no lead up to it. There was no time in shorts. There were no days off, and it was the survival of the fittest. The most terrific injuries came in the spring when it was all out all the time, but that's when we stood up. As a high school recruit, I went to a spring practice and saw O.J. Simpson, who was a junior college transfer, and um, as a receiver. He came in as a receiver. They put him at tailback because of his size and his speed, and um, they sent him seven times into the line, seven times into the middle of the defense just to test his courage. And he reacted well to it. And they found their tailback that day. That's how it was. It was to see what you have to give and see how far you can, um, how far you can go. What? So uh, that's what it was like to play it. That's, I played on probably one of the greatest defenses USC ever, well, the best they ever had called the Wild Bunch. That was a great experience because we were unyielding. You know, we, did, we didn't give up yardage. We didn't give up first downs. We took pride in it. So it wasn't a, a scoring contest like it is now. Yeah, a lot of points now. When, uh, toughest guy you ever had to tackle that wasn't on your team in a practice? Bobby Moore. 
Ahmad Rashad is now. His name is Ahmad Rashad now. Both yeah. games are junior and senior year. Both both times we collided, I knocked him out of the game, but I had to come out too. It was, you know, he was a big guy. He wasn't small. He was about six two and a half, six three, two twenty five, and he could really move, and he brought it. There were there wasn't a tailback that hard hitting on the West Coast at that time. No wonder he was so successful as a as, as a split end because to him those DBs were just mosquitoes that he, yeah. that he that he whacked. Yeah, we were talking about it yesterday on the show. We were saying, well, who's the greatest receiver to ever play at Oregon? And we went through a bunch of guys, and then we went, gosh, can we count Bobby Moore? Can we count Ahmad Rashad as a receiver because he played there in the NFL? But I have to imagine that, um, yeah, by the time he got to the NFL, he was running in space, and he's probably enjoying it. No, he's uh, he was just a tough guy. You know, he brought it. You know when you're a linebacker and you want to deliver the blow, and when someone, you know, uh, returns the favor, you have respect for them. John Papadakis, the singing linebacker. I want to talk about your album. Uh, it's called When. It's out now, and we're going to get to it, but... In order to get there, I have to I have to kind of get the path of how you ended up singing. So let's go back to like after your career. Tell me about the t- the taverna. Like what was what, the taverna what was... was all music and all fun and glory all the time. We had the chicken sink theory of entertainment. You know, we had a tap dancers and belly dancers, and I had a a violinist who played with Ella Fitzgerald and Tony Bennett. He was eighty years old, Tony Doria. And I, I had them coming out at different times in the evening and entertaining in a way where the, I built the evening, you know, around the entertainment and, of course, the, the wonderful hospitable service. The spirit of the place emerged, just like it does in a home when you have a great, you know, dinner party at home. And uh, the love of every, everything you love is expressed to your guests. And that's what we did. We, we expressed our, our love of the occasion pleasing them. It's a great thing to serve people. You know your purpose. You know, yeah. people, who, people who are in that business who don't care really to serve people, they end up looking like Swiss cheese. They got holes in them because they it doesn't fulfill them to please people. Mm. With me, it, it and of course, that's why I sing. You know, I want people to feel the same way about the lyrics and the story that I'm telling that I do, and I want to share it. So was there a first time that you started singing, or are you just kind of serving as the host? And we used you know, to sing in the rest, we used to sing in the restaurant all the time. I remember the great opera star Beverly Sills used to come in, and the first time she came in, she was sitting at a table, and I was standing at a table next to her, singing to a group. It was a birthday or some type of celebration, but we would sing. We wouldn't sing happy birthday. We'd sing, you know, in Greek something, or we'd sing some Sinatra or Bobby Darin song. And she, I was finished singing, and she grabbed my sleeve. She said, John, she said, that's good. <laughs> I said, <laughs> Beverly, I put my hand out, kind of gestured toward her. I said, Beverly, she stood up and sang an aria. She stood up in that damn restaurant in San Pedro and sang an aria. And every time she'd come in after that, when she'd come to the West Coast, she'd come to the Taverna, and she would sing an aria. I mean, what, you know, the customers were flabbergasted. Yeah. 
the same way one time when Rod Steiger ended up standing on a table telling everybody a joke. Another time Arnold Palmer's standing on a big round table in a party of 10 dancing. I put a belly dancer on top of the table and he joined her. <laughs> great memories, you know, great people. But we got the same reaction from everybody, not just notable people. We, we uh, you know, the thing was to bring them all to the same place together. I and love that. When, you, when you're able to do that, there's a communal feeling of goodness that permeates the place. And it feels real good. You're walking on air. That restaurant, all right, so you talk about uh, that era. You know, eventually it comes to an end, but, you know, 2010 or so, you're, you know, 1973 to 2010, as I remember, um, you have you have the end of that. Was that painful? Well, I had, I had a disease. I needed an operation. And I really didn't know what, it scared me to the, I really didn't know what my future was. Yeah, and I said, you know, I had a property business going at the same time, and and it was uh, a better path for me to go forward. Yeah, and 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 the, the disease came up all of a sudden on me, so it was, uh, yeah, you know, I figured it's a message, and uh, devote myself to some other things, and spend more time at home. Etc. Because the restaurant business is very demanding, and you know when you have that ambition to please people, you, you, it just juices you up, and you go on it. And sometimes you don't have as much uh, for everybody else in your direct family. And I wanted to be more involved with my family, and I and it's been very fulfilling that I that I I've been able to do that. Well, I'm just I, writing I, down the little league schedule. I got two grandsons in little leagues, you know, and I'm not going to miss it. I'm not going to miss one game. I can tell. I you love that. that. I love that. Uh, John Papadakis. Well, you do, you do. I wrote you today that I love yeah. your approach to people because you pay real close attention to what they give themselves to. Yeah, I do, and and you're right about kind of that energy output. I think about that from the standpoint of this radio show. You know, I I give three hours of that every day, Monday through Friday, and. I have to be really intentional to make sure that my three daughters get that energy as well, because at the end of the show, sometimes I don't feel like talking, at, you know, come six o'clock. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they don't even need you talking as you do on the radio. They just need you there. Right. They we were, need they were, to know that you're there. We were playing charades yesterday after the show, after dinner, and I was like, this is, okay, this is nice. This is good. Uh, John Papadakis with us, the singing linebacker. Um, I'm going to play some of your songs coming up, and I want you to talk about them, but before I, I get will. there, before I get there, USC and the restaurant, how did those things come together? Because I know Pete Carroll in that era used to come into the restaurant. What Pete was Carroll, that like? Pete, Pete Carroll recognized. He came in. When he first got the job, he said, I've heard about you. At that time, Paul Hackett had done a couple of recruiting parties. They were very successful under the guidance of Ed Orgeron, who was his recruiting coordinator. And Ed Orgeron was the only holdover to Pete Carroll's staff. And he told Pete, he said, if you want to do your recruiting, you do it. You come down here and meet this man. So he came down and he asked me what he thought, what I thought he should do. I told him, you know, possess the ball and play defense. Put your best people on defense. Deny the deny the line of scrimmage. He said, that's my plan. That's who I am. I said, great, then we're going to get along well together. He said, I want to do all my recruiting here. I said, I had an epiphany because I'm 50 years old at the time. I've been in the restaurant for a good 27 years. 
And I never had a coach figure that out yet, except for Ed Orgeron. And that was just a couple times. So with Pete, all those kids who became All-Americans and Heisman Trophy winners and everything, they all committed there at the Taverna. It was written about in the New York Times. It was written about in the Denver Post, but never in the L.A. papers because they were afraid there would be some type of suspicion, you know, of yeah. reporting violations and this and that. But no, yeah. it never was because it was as, it was as right as rain. It was as clean as it can be. Well, think about it now. I mean, today the NCAA comes out and says, hey, we're not going to pursue any NIL violations. They're just, you know, it's the Wild West now. I mean, the, the rails are off the thing. I'd be in jail every day because the judge would say, did you kiss that lady? I'd say, yes. They'd say, did you kiss that man? I'd say, yes. Because, <laughs> you know, we had a we had a love fest down there people were uh, hugging each other and they were spirited and so the trojan spirit met the greek spirit out there on the plains and you know uh glory was revived and they went on to attract the best players in the country for we did it for a good eight or nine years as long as pete was there all right i'm going to play some of your songs on the new album it's called when and you can find it on youtube and spotify wherever you find good music this song is called this is the lead uh, track. Like It is called When. What do I need to know about When? When is an original song, the only original song on the island. Lou Forestieri writes the music and I write the lyrics. And it's a ballad. It's about regrets in life and relationships. And I think any anyone uh, who's been in a relationship will relate to it. All right, I want to play just a, uh, a bit of it here. Here's When, John Papadakis. When did you start... To see right through me When did you start to pretend Why didn't you keep your face on When will these feelings end I could see that song playing in the background on a on a romantic evening, or maybe in the background as you're having dinner, is that where it's that's appropriate? It's definitely, it's definitely got a Broadway style to it. I love that. All right, here, here's another one. Just in time. What do I need to know about just in time? It's from a, it's from a, a play called The Bells Are Ringing, and uh, Dean Martin starred in the movie and made the song famous in films in early '60s, I think. Do you and find yourself? Do you find yourself? Do you find yourself gravitating towards Dean Martin's songs? I love Dean Martin. I love his interpretations. He had a very skillful voice, but he didn't push it that much, you know. He didn't try to push it. He didn't have to. He just weaved it around the lyrics. All right, here's Just In Time from John Papadakis on the When album. Just in time, you got me just in time, before you came my time. I love that. All right, that's my new favorite right there. Papadakis doing Dean Martin. That, I love that. Song's that. Got a great, that song's got a great ending. I'm oh. real proud of the way we finished that one off. 
listen to that later on, please. I will. I will. What? What's that recording process like? I, you know, I know you sent me a video uh, just before the show saying, "Hey, here's what it was." But what was that process like for you? You're you're a former athlete. The video I sent you yeah. just piano and voice. That's unique. We do that at the same time. But the the process of of establishing first how you want to do the song, and then you have to create an arrangement through a composer. My composer is Lou Forestieri. He composes the arrangements. Decide how many pieces are going to be in it. Most of my stuff has seven pieces in it. A lot of it just has three or four. But and once the once you establish that, you have to record the tracks. That's the instrumental part of the song. When you you don't do the vocals, you'd think that you sit there in the middle of them and sing, right? Amongst right. the band, and that's how you record. You don't. You record later by coming into the studio, and you're alone in the studio with your headphones on, and you're listening to the tracks and singing to them. All right. And that's the and then the engineer goes back and forth and back and forth, and you know you might sing the same same song a great number of times, just trying to uh, weed out the impurities in it, or you know a phrase that isn't as uh, homogeneous as with the others, etc. Anyway, it's it's lengthy and it goes, but I try to get as much in as I can. I've got a pretty strong attitude when I, you know, record and I go for it. And I feel it, you know, too. And it's it's great to record because it's all silence but that music in your ears. And that's a comfort because all I have to do is follow it. All right, but you're a guy who feeds off the energy of people. So is that a challenge for you when you're alone in the studio? No, because you can communicate your deep feeling for the lyrics and you do it in a, in a way where you're less, you feel less vulnerable than in front of people. It's intimate. And that's why you have to trust your engineer and whoever's helping and produce so that, you know, you feel comfortable enough to really delve inside and, and bring out the right thing in the lyrics. All right, this next song is They Didn't Believe in Me. I want oh, to say, boy, I love that. That's a ballad, is, but to beat ballads. Isn't this Sinatra, like Sinatra? You Sinatra. Yeah. They're not theater. Wow. All right, so here it is. John Papadakis, They Didn't Believe in Me from the When album. my new favorite that that's that's the winner they didn't believe me it's a beautiful song bill um bill charlotte and tony bennett won a grammy um for that song and they put it on an album of jerome kern songs jerome kern wrote that song and believe it or not frank sinatra used to sing in the early 40s to the Bobby Sox gals at the Paramount where he first became famous. It was a signature I want, I, for him. I want to say that song came out like World War One. Like, that's an old song. Oh, it's got to be 100 years old. Jerome Kern wrote in the 20s, I think, or earlier. Yeah. 
Anyway, you know, a lot of this music, there's a song in there by Al Jolson called Quarter to Nine, and we gave it a Latin soul. And, uh, you know, I loved it. He was in a movie with Ruby Keeler, who was uh, Al Jolson's wife, by the way, and he made a, a musical called Quarter to Nine, and that was about 90 years ago. And I was captured with the song because of the opening. You know, the opening words are, life begins when somebody's eyes look into your own. How many songs start like that? Mm-hmm. I, and you I want gotta, to sing those lyrics. You don't want to sing those lyrics, and you want to grab an audience with them. And then you want to deliver the rest of the song. And it John, was a very, Lou Forestieri gave a great arrangement to that song. I, I got a few more of these I want to play here. In the wee small hours of the morning, John Papadakis. When the sun is high in the afternoon sky, you can always find something to do. But from dusk till dawn, as time moves on, something happens to you. I go Sinatra to that. I think of Frank Sinatra there, too. Now I think of John Papadakis. You're turning me on playing all this stuff. I'm telling you, I love, you know, I, I, the song mean a lot to me. And, you know, hearing them like that makes me happy. Thank you. Well, Johnny Mathis did that as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did. It's a great song. It's a song that was a landmark song for Sinatra. He put out yeah. a, an album, a famous album cover of him, a painting of him standing by a, a, a spotlight or a you know, street lamp, smoking a cigarette with a right. hat on and, all, and um, wandering around early in the morning. And I remember it as a kid, you know, in my parents' album collection. And there's a there's a little I mean, there's some style in doing a cover, too, because you're putting your own imprint, your own fingerprint, your own voice, your own interpretation on these songs as well. It's an artistic endeavor that has a that you can paint very broad strokes with if you just understand your own message and what you, how you want to portray it. You know, if you you know how you want to give it, then it, it you get inspired in different ways. That's how you. That's how I choose what songs I want to sing. Sunday in New York. How about that, that one? That one's off. That one takes off. All right, here we go. New York on Sunday. Big city. Taking a nap, slowed down. It's Sunday, life's a moment. <laughs> I love it. I love that. It's a great. It's a great song from a great movie called Sunday in New York with Jane Fonda and uh, Cliff Robertson. I'm trying to think of the other main actor. I can't think of his name. He's a great Australian, Rod Taylor. Oh. Um, and uh, I always love the music. Peter Nero who appears in the movie playing his music, uh, wrote the uh, wrote the, the, the song. I think it won an Academy Award for Best Song. If it didn't, it should have. All right, I'm going to do Darren's one. Got a, I'm going to do Darren's one. 
killer rendition of it. One more. Sammy Davis Jr. did this song. I know uh, the folks who live on the hill. This is... Oh, I, th- that's us. <laughs> We've been in the same house for 45 years, and it's on a hill. All right. Here's John Papadakis. You can you can hear this on the When album. Grab it on YouTube, Spotify, wherever you listen to your music. Here's The Folks Who Live on the Hill. Many men with lofty aims Strive for wealth and gold Other men play smaller games Being simpler souls I am of the latter brand All I want to do is find a spot of land and live there with you. That is smooth. I love those old songs because they have verses to begin the song. You know, the next line on that song is, Someday we'll build a home on a hilltop high. You know, like that. And talking about living on the hill and they always had poetry that that preceded the message and draws everybody into the meaning of the song very classy i love that are you doing another concert i know you did one uh not too long ago i'm in the course of setting one up now possibly may 9th in hollywood at the catalina jazz club that's where i frequent most and we've had a lot of good uh blowouts there and uh, I feel comfortable there, too. I need to come see one of these performances in person. <laughs> You'd enjoy it. It's, right. it's, it's a great crowd. You know, some of the best people from my restaurant years come still. And uh, there's a lot of mutual appreciation to go around. It's like every every concert's been like a New Year's Eve. I love that. John Papadakis, the album is When It's Out. I, you can hear it on YouTube, Spotify, wherever you listen to your music. Find it. The Singing Linebacker, I appreciate you coming on, John. Thanks for your friendship. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. There he goes. His son, Petros, you can catch him on Fox Football Broadcasts. But uh, The Singing Linebacker, you can find him on YouTube. Leave it here. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.